Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. They're going to lose two starters after the 2020 season. Thibodeau could be gone after the 2021 season. And probably will be, honestly. He has a three, three-year player and, and gone. Um, and that means I think Swinson has a couple of seasons here to, to work himself into a starting role. And if he could get a starting role as a redshirt freshman or maybe as a soft redshirt sophomore, that could be two or three or even four years as a starter on that defensive line. I'm Matt Perrin. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And today's show, we are going to dive into a look back into the past of some of the most overachieving three-star prospects that the Oregon Ducks have signed, while also making some predictions for the 2020 class and seeing which players could outperform their ranking, all coming up here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. And before we dive into the show, I want to remind you guys that you could subscribe to DuckTerritory.com for literally as low as $1 for your first month. $1 gets you in the door for your first month at DuckTerritory.com, and then after that, it goes to $9.95. If you want to go the annual subscription route, you could save... Upwards of $40 over the course of a year by by subscribing to the annual membership. Uh, that's a huge chunk of change for you as well. So highly encourage you guys to do that. It helps support the podcast and to allow Eric and I to continue doing these shows. Now, Eric, um, on today's show, like I said, we're going to dive in and, and look at some overperforming athletes that have played for Oregon football at, in, in since 2010, and because quite honestly, there's there is a, a long stretch of athletes that came before 2010 that are some of the greatest players to ever play at Oregon. But that was I I, I think that was during a time in which um, Oregon really wasn't recruiting a ton of four star. They weren't recruiting five-star players like they are in today's day and age of football recruiting. So we're going to start this with 2010. It's kind of right around the period where it became pretty much the norm that half or maybe a little under or a little over half the class at Oregon would be a four-star or a five-star player. Um, and we're, 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 we're considering three-star players only. So guys that outperformed their three-star ranking. I will let you start this off. I'm happy you're doing that because I'm starting with a classic Matt Preem pick here where I'm combining four players into one player. Four players? Four player, Matt. Yeah, I'm really bending the rules. I'm really going on it here. And it makes sense. I'm not just, I'm not just taking four players and randomly putting them together, but, um, I'm using the four players that started so many games on the offensive line, really just three of them primarily. But Calvin Throckmorton, Jake Hansen, Shane Lemieux, and Brady Allo were all three star recruits in the 2015 cycle. Um, it's interesting because there was a fourth or I should say a fifth offensive line signing in that class, Zach Oaken, who um, was the lone four-star of that group, and he was the only one that didn't end up playing significantly at Oregon during his time. Um, I think he medically retired or, or at least retired from the sport pretty early on. But those three, and I'm including Aiello because he was, I think, by extension part of this group, 
I think were really significant in terms of created one of the best offensive lines Oregon has had incredible continuity over four years. And all three of them came in as again, three-star rated recruits. And that brings up a good point at the top of the show about when Oregon really ramps up its recruiting efforts. And then most of the class are four and five-star recruits. It's kind of hard to find a three-star overachiever because there just weren't very many opportunities, but a couple of these classes, um, in 2015 and 16 and 10 and 11, I in particular found a number of these kind of guys in part because these were classes where there just were a lot of three stars. So, um, I've grouped those four together. I think obviously again, I'm bending rules here, but I think those guys belong together and clearly a group that really outperformed, um, the expectations and, and started for four years and I think set the ducks up for, for success going into the 2020s. I'm going to start things off right where, where you did. I, I did not pick four. I did not break the rules. I was extremely strict about these rules that were created by you. And I'm <laughs> absolutely disgusted that you have thrown out four names for your first one. Um, but I am sticking with Shane Lemieux. Uh, three-star recruit was the 34th best offensive guard in the country in the 2015 class. Ninth best player in the state of Washington, just under the 500th best player, regardless of position, and is now a New York Giant, was drafted uh, in the most recent NFL draft, and is in a position in which he could have a, a pretty significant role, either as a starter or one of the first guys off the bench for the Giants as a rookie during the 2020 NFL season. And I, I look at him and just think, he was the standard for the guard position the last few seasons at Oregon and, and will be the standard that everyone will be compared to for the foreseeable future until another elite-level special player comes through the University of Oregon. I think um, when you look at some of the past greats that have played the guard position um, before him, the one to me that probably stands out the most is Kyle Long and his one season yeah. that he played at Oregon. Um, but I think Lemieux kind of becomes that, that new standard bear and is every play, you know, every position, you know, quarterback at Oregon, it's Marcus Mario. Um, you know, every quarterback before, you know, that comes after him will be compared to him. I, I think from a running back perspective, uh, even though he's not the career leader for rushing yards, you know, everyone kind of, well, what does he do compared to Michael James at Oregon? Um, yep. so I, I will, I will, I will hold Shane Lemieux in that regard to what does, what does this player and how does he compare to what Shane Lemieux did? So Lemieux is my number five. My fourth pick here, I think kind of follows suit with what you were just going through in terms of if we're looking back over the decade and maybe even further back, I guess in 2000s, they had other good players at this position, but at center, I don't think you can find a player better than Hironis Grasso, certainly since the 2010 decade, a two-time All-American, a three-time All-Pac-12 first-team pick. The one year he was not, um, he was a second-team pick in 2011 as a freshman, um, a player that was undoubtedly one of the most impressive collegiate performers Oregon has had in terms of the accolades he received. I mean, being a first-team All-American two years in a row is just something that doesn't take place very much. And Hironis Grasso is a player who came in as the 617th rated player in his class nationally. 
He was the sixth best center, and but we should say that centers typically aren't the highest rated of recruits. But he left. He was the sixth best center, and because we can put it this way, he left in terms of the way he played as a collegiate as the best center or one of the two best centers from his class for sure. Um, never won the Remington Award, but was I believe the first player drafted from the center position in that uh, draft class by the Chicago Bears. He's bounced around between teams, has not had a lot of professional success, but Grassi was certainly a player who came in as a three-star recruit, started four seasons, and was an All-American for two of those and an All-Pac-12 player for three. So definitely a player that had extensive uh, success at Oregon and came in without those expectations. My number four, I I feel like this is a very sneaky pick. Um, he, he is not the statistically the most accomplished player in program history at his position. I probably wouldn't even say, you know, he's three or four um, during this timeline. But I go to Tony Washington, outside wow. linebacker. Okay. He was the 832nd player ranked in the 2010 recruiting class. He was the 49th best weak side defensive end in the country, the 94th best player in the state of California in 2010. And he ended his career in the second to last game that he played as the Rose Bowl defensive MVP. He was Oregon's big play specialist at outside linebacker, finished second in tackles as a sophomore for tackles for loss with 11 and a half. He had a team high 76 yards of lost yardage that season. Was the runner up for the team and, and sacks as a senior with six was a guy that didn't really necessarily go on and do much in the NFL, but I look at him and just the gradual growth and development that he had as a player from someone that showed up as a three-star player that really didn't have a a ton of high-level interest in him. Um, You know, he had a couple offers, yeah, from Pac-12 outside of Oregon, Arizona, Arizona State, but – he was not viewed as this superstar MVP. Uh, you know, you typically when you think of MVPs of, of bowl games and, and college football playoff games, you think these are going to be your five stars or your top 100 four star recruit. Now that, that's not Tony Washington. And he left as, you know, in his two and a half years of, of being a starter at Oregon as one of the best outside linebackers we've seen run through there. Kind of mad at Matt for making that pick because I didn't make that. And as Matt knows, there's some personal connection. Uh, Tony knows my parents pretty well. And actually, he's currently a grad assistant at Nebraska, and his car is still at my parents' house. So Tony moved the car. Um, but I did, I did not pick Tony for a spot on this list. Um, my number three here is a player, and actually my top three are players we're all very familiar with. But my third pick here, uh, number ten himself, Justin Herbert from the 2016 class, a Eugene native, 659th player. Overall, the 26th best quarterback um, in that cycle, um, a player who came to Oregon, I, I think despite being from Sheldon, people knew he was good, but I don't think there was an expectation he'd be a, I guess we'll call it a three and a half, four year starter like he did and, and didn't even use a redshirt year. I don't know. I don't think anybody would have said they would have expected Justin Herbert to arrive at Oregon, not redshirt, start every single season and leave as a Rose Bowl MVP. And, and, and I think. 
it'll be interesting to see how he's remembered a decade or so from now, but legitimately one of the best quarterbacks to, to come through Oregon. Um, obviously a top draft choice by the Los Angeles Chargers, obviously somebody who had immense success during his time at Oregon. I, I just had a hard time not putting Herbert on this list. And um, again, an overachiever because I, I don't think people had any expectation he'd come in and, and be the player he was for the entirety of his career. And there were highs and lows, but I think as you look back at his career, um, the highs stand out above the lows, at least from where I'm sitting. I think we might have some similar stat, you know, names here, but I'm with you for number three. I have Justin Herbert as the, you know, my third best athlete to outperform his rank because I'm with you. I mean, I, I remember going and watching him as a junior in high school at Sheldon and going, wow, this quarterback's pretty good. I, I, I think I felt like he was probably a Pac-12 caliber guy I, at, at that time. Going into his senior year, then he got, uh, then he got hurt, you know, I think week three or week four of his junior year. And then at that point, I was like, well, you know, we'll see if, if Pac-12 schools come around because, you know, he's not going to have a lot of film and he plays in the state of Oregon and doesn't play in Port- the Portland area. And as a senior, I went and watched his first game and was like, wow, this is, he is legit. He is a quarterback that Oregon should recruit, but, wasn't even close in my mind that I would think a year later he would be the number two quarterback on the depth chart going into the season and the, the person that a lot of current players on the team at the time were saying should probably be in contention for the starting role. And then out of nowhere did I think he would, you know, tie records at Oregon as a true freshman and throwing six touchdown passes. Uh, and, and the week later following it up with another impressive run. Um, and then doing what he did as a sophomore, as a junior, and now most recently as a senior and being the sixth best pick, uh, the number six overall draft pick. I mean, I, I did say on Twitter, like, I, I think maybe his junior year that Justin Herbert would be a first round draft pick. Um, I don't know if I necessarily could say that with a straight face when mm-hmm. I saw him as a high school player. And when he signed, I mean, I looked at him as, okay, he's going to show up. He's going to play. He's going to redshirt his first year. He's going to sit maybe his second year. He'll he'll probably sit as a redshirt sophomore. And then maybe as a redshirt junior, he'll have his opportunity to to contend for the starting job. Not not alone just win it, but just contend for it. So I'm with you. Herbert is one of the best stories out there. I, I think in all of sports of just, I mean, like, would it surprise you? Like, maybe they don't fall to a T, but just that type of a storyline of for a movie. Like, you're a local kid, doesn't really get recruited very late in the process. The local school offers you the team that you, you grew up rooting for and going to games for, and you make it to the NFL. Like, that just feels like a made-for movie moment. Let's get let's get those producers on the phone. I, I think that's, that's he should be able to get it. If there's anyone who can get it put together, it's it's Justin. He's in Los Angeles. He's around it all. Right. Uh, he's got the looks, the hair. Like. Yeah, that might be. That, they might need to cast somebody for him to uh, to, to play that role. But who knows? Maybe, maybe we're sleeping on his acting chops as well. Maybe, maybe. Uh, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Otson Audibles podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Bramer. Scopel is with me as always. And breaking down the five most overachieving players that are three-star recruits or lower. And then also kind of giving our opinions on the 2020 class of who to watch out for. My number, uh, you're number two. You're up first. So you're number two. Yeah, actually, I was kind of hoping you'd go because I, w- I was curious when you said we had okay. similar picks here. I, I know I'm guessing we probably have similar picks at the top, but um, I don't know if we're gonna we're gonna agree I on this go one. I can go too if you want. No, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it, Matt. I got it. Uh, number two uh, from the same recruiting class as Justin Herbert um, in 2016, Troy Dye, uh, 595th best player in the class. Remember, he was a, he was recruited or at least rated as a safety, and he was the 40th best safety nationally out of California. Um, Came in and was like immediately the best player on defense, which I think basically overachieved right from away. when he stepped on campus was already. I mean, you look at the way he performed in those first couple of games, albeit in a really forgettable season, but um, just was immediately really, really good and led the team in tackles every season he was at Oregon. Um, I think if, you know, we now know his injury history a little bit better, if, if he doesn't deal with some of, I mean, a bunch of different injuries he was dealing with down the stretch of the 2020 season, he might have and still would have had to be incredibly productive, but he might have gone down as the all-time tackles leader in program history. He's third on that list, as is the only player, I believe, in school history to ever have 100 tackles or more um, in two seasons in a row like that, um, like he did as a sophomore and a junior, um, almost got there as a freshman and, and obviously didn't quite get there as a senior. But I think a player who is extremely productive, like I said, um, didn't get the All-American, All-Conference notoriety like he probably was deserving. And we could throw Herbert in the conversation there as well in terms of lacking that All-Conference and All-American um, notoriety. Guy was a second-team All-Conference pick, I believe, his last two years, so did get a little bit of that. But player who came in, again, three-star recruit, maybe he was going to play safety, immediately playing outside linebacker, obviously moved to inside, and, and just had a really great career, very, very reliable. Um, going to have a chance to, to further that career in the NFL with the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, we're going to have the same group here. And, and All right. Pulling back the, the curtain here, Eric and I don't compare lists when we when we do these podcasts and we're building out our ideas. I mean, it's very minimal of kind of 
we just figure out, okay, we're going to do one through three here. And then the next, you know, two after that, it's, we don't discuss names. We don't compare notes. Uh, don't run things by each other. Um, and it's, so I, I think that kind of can maybe give you an idea of how at least we view these players as a whole, if we're both equal. Cause my number two is Troy Dye as well. And I, I'm with you. Um, and when he showed up, he instantly outperformed his ranking. I, mean, I remember going to that spring game cause he arrived early and played in the spring game. And I think was like the defensive MVP of, of that spring game because he led the team in tackles and was everywhere. And, and it was just like, what on earth is, who is this guy? Like, he was a three-star recruit playing linebacker, uh, but was recruited as a safety. Wow, this, this guy could, this guy could be really something. And started as a true freshman, uh, nine starts, started the final seven games of the year. He had a team high, 91 tackles, good for fifth in the Pac-12. So not only was he good at Oregon, yeah. he was good in the, in, in the conference as, uh, a true freshman was not, was one of just three FBS true freshmen to lead their team in tackles during that 2016 season. Uh, as a sophomore, uh, he was one of three players to start all 13 games. He led the team in tackles for a second straight year. He had 107 tackles that year. Uh, it's the most to accomplish that feat for a duck since 1992. Um, one of just five players to, to lead his, his team in tackles in 2016 and 17. At that point, and he would go on to, you know, lead his team in, in tackles for the next two years as well as, as a junior and, and as a senior. Um, and ended his career at Oregon as the only player in school history to lead the team in tackles for four straight seasons, finished third in program history for career tackles. And quite honestly, I think he would be first in, in program history in tackles if the rest of the defense around him didn't get better and he didn't have to cover up so many um, mistakes and uh, slip ups and what and missed assignments and what have you, because early on in his career, this is how, and I think this speaks to how good he was at Oregon was early on in his career. He did everything. I mean, he, he covered up so many mistakes because he had to, and towards, you know, especially his senior season, statistically looking, you would think he didn't have a good year, but that just, he did. He just didn't have to make up for so many, you know, missed assignments because the defense at Oregon got better every single season. And he will go down, though, in my mind, as one of the best players to play at Oregon ever. One of the best players to ever outperform his ranking in program history forever. And he will also go down as probably one of the better dudes to play at Oregon just because of his ability to speak out when it needed to be. He, he didn't just speak about duck football. It was everything. Uh, he was funny when he, when he needed to be, he was smart when, you know, and, and articulate when he answered questions and, uh, Troy and I will go down as one of the best ducks ever, right? To play at Oregon. And I, I think it's pretty cool that we were both there to cover it. You know, and I think one way to illustrate his, you know, importance is you think about the defense he played for in 2016, just how awful that group was. And there's yep. no other way to say it. It was a terrible defense, probably one of the worst defenses Oregon's ever had. And to finish his career in 2020 playing for arguably the best defense Oregon has ever had. And he was that one constant through there. And obviously a lot of things changed around him in terms of players and coaches and everything. But I think a ton of credit in terms of 
his role in that maybe gets lost a little bit. I mean, because it's it, don't go back and look at the 2016 stats. Maybe you don't want to. I think a lot of fans probably want to forget that that year ever took place based upon what happened on the field. But um, that was an awful defense, a really really bad defense. And, and then you look at the numbers in 2020. Um, what a turnaround! Just to think, I think just to sit and reflect on that defensively, not just a program turnaround, but really defensively to go from how bad they were to where they are now. Um, one of the best defenses nationally last year, and I think will be again this upcoming season. Um, truly special that Die was a part of that, and I think a really in- integral part of that as well. My I mean, top pick, real, real quick about yeah. real quick about Die. I mean, look at go look at his stats and. And compare his first three years to his senior year. I mean, as a freshman, he had 13 tackles for loss. He had six and a half sacks. He had an interception. He had two passes defended. He, he blocked a kick. He had 57 solo tackles. As a senior, all of those numbers are down, except for interceptions. I guess some passes defended, too. He had more passes defended as well. But the, the key ones, tackles. He had, he had 91 in 2016. As a senior, he had 84. Tackles for loss, he had 9.5 for just 2.6 yards, or 26 yards. He had 13 as a true freshman. Sacks, he had just 2.5 as a senior for 8 yards. He had 6.5 for 39 as a a freshman. And when you talked to him during the season, and when you watched his body language during games, you you thought he was having the best year in his career. And statistically, it was his worst. All right, my top pick here, and I was thinking I was going to make a joke about it, but Matt kind of interrupted me, so I'm not going to. Uh, Matt, I'm going to go with, <laughs> I, almost, I almost said Matt Mariota, which would be funnier. Um, Mar- Marcus Mariota, um, I think the easy pick here. Um, a three-star recruit, 491st overall, um, the 18th best dual-threat quarterback in the 2011 recruiting class by the 24-7 Sports Composite. Um, I don't think there was really an alternative choice for this. Even if, you know, he's the best player to ever play at Oregon, he qualifies as a three-star recruit. I don't know if there's much else to say. He won the Heisman Trophy. He did. I mean, do I need to even run through all of Marcus Mariota's career accomplishments? I think anybody listening knows how great he was, but, um, also just a great guy off the field, like you were talking about with Troy Dye, um, had the opportunity of covering, uh, Marcus's I believe redshirt freshman and sophomore seasons um, at Oregon and uh, just a stand-up guy and similar. You know, I think the, the cool thing about this is you're looking at this list in terms of how they're achieving on the field, but I look at the five guys I have, and I guess maybe I have a little bit more because I've got eight because I added three extra on the fifth pick, but every one of those guys is, is great off the field as well and was great to talk with and, and get to get to know. And I think that also speaks to this list, but um I don't know what else there is to say about Marcus Mariota, so I'm going to turn it over to Matt where he can, I'll give him the opportunity to, to maybe glow over Mariota just because what is, what is there to say? I think everybody knows what he represents to this program. I mean, I, my show notes is the one player at Oregon to win a Heisman is a three star. Yeah. There you go. I mean, 24-7 sports ranked him as a four, so I'm going to gloat there for a minute. We individually were high on Marcus Mariota much more than everyone else was. But we're basing these rankings off of the 24-7 sports composite and the 24-7 sports composite, which takes in the average of every other scouting service out there that's a major scouting service and averages it out. And the average says he's a three-star recruit. And so the one player at Oregon who has won a Heisman 
is a three-star recruit, and there's nothing more, I think, to justify a player that outperformed his ranking than by winning the most prestigious award ever. And the only one at Oregon to do that is a three-star recruit. So I was, I was going to ask. Thing. Yeah, I was going to. I was going to ask. We reflect a little bit back on how we thought of Justin when he arrived. I still remember watching Marcus Mariota's high school tape and being like, "Holy cow, this guy's a three-star!" Like, I, so I, it wasn't just. I, I know he was a three-star in ranking, but I remember being like, "Holy crap!" And I remember sending that around. Um, I think like via email back then, because text messaging where you would send videos was like kind of hard to do at the time. Um, but sending that to people and people being like, "Holy crap! Holy crap!" So I, not that not that I'm bragging that I was on it early, but I certainly was aware watching his tape and kind of reading about him a little bit. And this is I think before I was covering the team, I was certainly aware of who he was, but. What obviously didn't expect what took place to take place. What was your perspective on Mariota when he arrived? And do you remember watching some of those high school highlights and, and having a similar reaction? Um, I remember when Mariota committed. And at the time, Justin Hopkins worked with us. And he texted, hey, Oregon's adding this Hawaiian quarterback. And if you remember, the Mariota commitment happened when um, – it was a football camp. He was here. Johnny Menzel was here. And I think there was a Gerard Randall. If that's, if that. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that, right. That yeah, he's another commitment. Yeah. They were also, they were here too. And Randall was committed. Um, Menzel, I think, hadn't committed yet, but Menzel was like the, he was the big fish. He was what everyone was going, what, what was hoping Oregon would sign. And every other school in the country wanted Johnny Menzel for the most, you know, a lot of them did. And Mariota beat him to the punch. And I remember Justin saying, Hey, uh, I think Marcus Mariota is going to commit to Oregon. And my first reaction was, what, why? Why would Oregon take him when they have Johnny Menzel? Like, like that, that was my first reaction. And when he committed and then, it was kind of like, all right, well, I mean, that he's supposed to be pretty good. We'll see what happens. And he showed up, and I, I don't really remember much um, talk during his freshman, his true freshman year, um, outside of like, wow, this kid's supposed to be pretty good. And I was like, well, we'll see. And I, I admit, I was on the camp that I thought Brian Bennett would win the job going mm-hmm. in, you know, going into the season. And when I flipped when the spring game was played, and we were yeah. able to watch a full, you know. Full, full on scrimmage and watching Marcus Mariota as a redshirt freshman. It's like, Oh, this is why Darren Thomas went pro. This guy isn't just good. This guy's like, he's going to be special. And then his, his first game against Arkansas state, he was tremendous. Um, but even then I didn't think like this guy's going to win a Heisman in, in, in two more years, but I definitely thought he was going to be really good. And he was already better than I was expecting. Um, but uh, part of that was, I, I think in part because we were so tied up with, he was a three-star. Yeah. No, I, 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 that spring game is important to bring up too. Cause I think that was the sentiment for quite a few duck fans of like, Oh, this would be a Bennett. Then I'll probably win this or has at least has a good chance to win it. Obviously things didn't play out that way. And that, that spring game was that, that eye opening moment, probably and maybe this will be an idea for another podcast. Maybe one of the most impressive Oregon spring game performances, at least that I can remember. Um, throughout the years, 
I don't know if you kept a list of other players you considered, Matt, but I have five more on my honorable mention list. I'm going to run through that really quickly, and if you have more you want to mention, you can as well. Um, from 2014 cycle, Tyrell Crosby uh, was a three-star yep. recruit, obviously. I got him. Yeah, he went in to have a great career. A couple guys from 2015 stood out, Ugo Amadi and Jacob Breland, two players who went on to start and have significant careers, both have professional aspirations. Ugo Amadi, obviously, with the Seahawks, I think has a chance to really compete for a starting spot this year. And then two guys from 2017 who are still with the team that I couldn't quite put on here, but I think both are deserving of acknowledgement. Um, Jordan Scott was a 883rd overall recruit, which is worse than any of the recruits we actually listed there. <laughs> um, I mean, that's not a very high ranking. And he came in and like kind of like Troy Dye, nobody really knew exactly what to expect from Scott. He was, wasn't that highly rated uh, of a recruit. And he came in and started from day one. Um, and obviously has held that spot down and, you know, be interested to see how his senior season plays out, but certainly. I was I just going to say, his senior year could, could put him into this category. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. And I think the, other, the second guy here has a chance as well, and that's Johnny Johnson. And obviously he doesn't have the career that these other players have yet, but he also was so much lower ranking. I mean, he was the lowest rated recruit in 2017, the 1534th overall player, the 218th best wide receiver, I can almost guarantee you he's outperformed 217 receivers or, you know, he's outperformed some of those receivers in that group for sure. Um, during his time at Oregon, obviously last year's the team leader in receiving receptions, receiving yards, receiving touchdowns. Um, I think has a good chance to do that as a senior as well. But I think those two players, players that came in in 2017 and have been really integral in getting things turned around. Um, and neither of them were very highly regarded as recruits coming in. Um, you named, the, you, you made Tyro Crosby. Um, I hadn't thought of Jordan Scott because I was so focused on on guys that have finished their careers, but that's a good one as well. Yeah. Um, I go back to 2010's class, though, of other guys that I was kind of considering. There are a lot of guys in here that were multi-year starters. A couple of them have made the NFL. Derek Malone was a three-star player. Uh, you've also got Troy Hill. You have Cronus Grasso. Like I mentioned, you have Tony Washington. Um, the 2011 class has has a couple guys. Most notably, I think though, is Jake Fisher, someone that showed up and um, instantly. Obviously, of Marcus Mariota, I'm including him in this group, but of other guys that didn't get named, Jake Fisher would be another one. Um, 2011 has a couple guys uh, that that are, that are pretty talented players. Um, I, I go also to. I think it's the 2000, let me just double check here, the 2012 or two, is it 2013 class? I just want to make sure I get get these right. Yeah, it's 2013, I believe. Um, that has Joe Walker in it. And yeah, I almost picked, I almost noted him too. Yeah, it's a good one. Joe Walker was a guy who was just kind of like very late edition, filler, you know, filler guy, and we'll, we'll see where, he, you know, how much of a role he has at Oregon. And he turned into a starter and is still playing in the NFL. And I just look at that as that was someone that was really good at Oregon and doesn't really go, I think, appreciated to the full extent. Um, Kiko Alonso is another one that signed with Oregon and was a three-star prospect coming out of high school. Um, but he was 2008 now that I think about it. And so I, he doesn't qualify, but, um, if we want to break the rules, if I want to break the rules at least once, that would be a guy I would include. I, uh, I, I got two here as well that I just thought of that 
early on in their careers would have been perfect for this category, but didn't finish it out. And so this is like maybe an added here thing. But think of the way Brendan Schooler burst onto the scene, how unexpected that was. Obviously, again, he doesn't qualify because after his freshman season, things didn't quite go as well. Another one along the same lines is like Charles Nelson. Just remember how excited everybody was about Charles Nelson after his freshman season, the impacts he had. On that team, he played defense as a sophomore, played some safety, moved moved around, but just didn't finish his career, I don't think, quite as at the same level. But another player that was, uh, I guess, a three-star that really performed well at times during his career, I think those are two guys to also acknowledge. And there's, again, a lot more, and I'm sure those listening have others that they're thinking of as well. Um, who is your 2020 guy? Who's the guy that you think from this up this that just signed that's going to be a part of this year's team that could kind of fit into this if we were to do this category in four or five years? Um, I, I think there's a couple guys that really stand out above the rest for me. And it sucks because the guy I think who's going to just drastically outperform his ranking is a four star in, in the composite and just barely. And that's Jason Jones. Yeah, um, so thing. I, I would, I would Say if, if I had to pick someone out of everybody, it would be him. But from a three star perspective, I, I really think we're going to see, uh, Maceo Afisi, the defensive tackle from Hawaii, really turn into, um, a future player for Oregon at defensive tackle. I mean, he was picked as, oh, it's going to be an interesting pick. We'll see what happens. And then he exploded onto the scene as a senior to the point where, we as a network turned him into a four-star recruit, you know, because of how dominant he was at six foot five and 260, 270 pounds as a high school senior, uh, in the state of Hawaii. So I, I would say myself, if would be one that I would look at and say, this guy is going to be a lot better than, than expected. Um, and then another one, I, I, I think if I had to pick a second guy, I, I might go with, um, Braden Swinson from Chapel Hill, Georgia, uh, or high school in, in Georgia, um, three-star player showed up at Oregon for spring football and just instantly looked the part that you want from a defensive lineman. And, and I think being here for football, even if it was just for three minutes, um, I, I, or three minutes, uh, four <laughs> spring practices, I, I think he's going to be a guy that we're going to talk a lot about. It felt like three minutes, Matt, to be honest. The four spring practice, they feel like it might have been just three minutes. I, feel like I still am uh, I'm still devastated that we didn't get more, but um, that's in the past. I, I, I'll be honest here. I'm changing my pick mid-podcast because I, I had I, I really love Jalen Jeffers' upside at offensive tackle, but I was just recognizing the fact that in the 2021 class, Oregon's kind of recruited over him, and that's not to say he can't still win the job, but you think about they actually went to the state of Arizona in 2021, the same – state that Jeffers is from and pulled out Bram Walden and Jonah Miller, two highly rated offensive tackles. Kingsley Suomatia, a player we've talked about in the podcast a lot as well, also possibly going to be a part of this class as an offensive tackle. Um, I just look at Jefferson and go, maybe there's not the opportunity, but I'm really high on his upside. And so I was landing where you just landed on Braden Swinson. Um, and for the same reasons, I think we're mentioning defensive linemen in part because there's opportunity on the defensive line. Um, you know, I also thought about a guy like Jackson LaDuke, who I think is going to be a really good football player. But think about what he's going to have to compete with at linebacker, just the immense amount of talent there um, at linebacker. It's going to be hard to find an opportunity, I think, for for him, similar to Jeffers. But Swinson on the defensive line here, 
They're going to lose two starters after the 2020 season. Thibodeau could be gone after the 2021 season. Yeah, probably will be, honestly, as a three, three-year player and, and gone. Um, and that means I think Swinson has a couple of seasons here to, to work himself into a starting role. And if he could get a starting role as a redshirt freshman or maybe as a soft, redshirt sophomore, that could be two or three or even four years as a starter on that defensive line. So I like that pick as well. And, and similar to what Matt said, even though it did feel like three minutes or if it was four spring practice, however you want to say it, Swinson, at least he passed the eyeball test in the limited opportunity. We did get to see him this spring. Let's go do it for us here on the Autzen Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. Uh, hopefully you guys are all doing well. For Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Preen, we'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, fellas. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.